I remember one time after Mass, a year ago or so, I was talking to a woman, she came up to me and she said, you know, what you said in your homily really shook me, it challenged me, and made me think about some things, and I just want to thank you. And so we had a conversation about it for a moment, and then at one point she was walking away, and I said, oh, by the way, Father Brad's, you know, he's, he's out next week, so I'll be back again, I'll see you on Sunday. And her face, like, went white, and she was, I hope not. And I was like, oh, she was, I can't take your preaching two weeks in a row. It's too much. He's like, well, now you guys got me for four weeks in a row, so buckle up. If it's any consolation, you just have to hear me for like 15 minutes a week. I have to live inside my own head. So I'm the one who suffers more than anybody. One of the best things, though, about preaching to the same group of people week after week, though, because I was here last week too, is that you can kind of build up on themes because no one homily is ever all-encompassing. Right? You're, it's like exercise. You, read, you work out one part of the body one day, the next part the next day, unless you're a Gertner boy, then you just do biceps all day, basically. So last week, I gave a very heartfelt, romantic, inspiring reflection about this young, rich man who fell in love, had a deep experience with this woman, and he left everything to be with her. He became extremely poor, got disinherited from his family, lost everything just to be with her. And I said, that's what our relationship with Jesus Christ should look like. It should be based on a deep experience of the love of God in the person of Christ that inspires us to do everything that we do as Catholics. Otherwise, our faith is just based on a bunch of dogmatic beliefs and moral principles of I have to believe this because I'm Catholic. I have to do this because I'm Catholic. But it should be based on a very profound experience of Christ. Some people thought that the homily was, in kind of the words of Mr. Potter, It's a Wonderful Life, a bunch of sentimental hogwash. I talked to a married person and a mother, and I thought it was really interesting at their responses. A married person said to me, do you have any idea how difficult marriage can be? I have to choose my spouse every single day, over and over again, even after all the fuzzy feelings have gone away. Then the mother came up to me at one point and said, you know, I didn't really want to have children when I got married. It was really hard for me. And I was really tempted to be closed off to life and contracept, but I had to make the choice, even though the fuzzy feelings weren't there, to choose to be open to life. And I did that for God. It's a solid point. And both of these comments, I have to admit, they really surprised me. Because I always thought that marriage and motherhood were akin to swimming in bubbles of perpetual bliss all the time. I mean, just heaven on earth. I guess I was wrong. I mean, it would have made discerning the priesthood a lot easier had I known that before the fact. But we're here. But they have a point. Love begins with an experience deep feelings, infatuation, but then love must become a choice for better, for worse, rich or poor, sickness or in health. The feelings must find their way to the will. And that's the only way that true love ever really endures. I'm sure there were many times when that young man, Gonzalo, after he left all his riches in his father's house, was living in poverty and destitution, working himself to death, when he was tempted to say, what am I doing? I might as well just go back to all my comforts. But he had to make a choice 
to remain faithful to that woman that he'd had that beautiful experience with at the beginning. He had to choose to stay with her. It was the same thing with uh, St. Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, before she began her order of missionaries of charity, she was having ecstasies of Christ. Mystical experiences where she actually saw Christ and the Blessed Virgin Mary speaking to her and saying, will you leave everything to serve the poorest of the poor, to go out for me, to, to be my face and my love where people are in total darkness? After she said yes, she writes in her diary that the moment that she walked out into the streets to begin that order, the light just switched off. And in her relationship with God, it was silence and darkness for almost 50 years. And every single day, she had to choose to be faithful to that original experience that she had with Jesus Christ, even when it was all gone. So in the end, love must become a choice, like our faith must become a choice. And that's why the scriptures are very adamant on that. He who says that he loves God, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. They're not telling the truth. Because true love, as every married person knows, as every parent knows, is in the end, not what we feel, not what we say, but what we do. I talked to a man a while ago who left his wife and three, two children. And he said, I, I just needed to do my own thing for a while. But the worst part about it is he looked at me and said, but I love them. I, I do love them. I just need to do my thing. How many of us would ever look at that and say, yeah, it's true. He, he does love them. But we can do that with God all the time. Say, well, I just choose not to follow God's commandments, but I still love God. Just will do my own thing for a while. And this brings us to the second reading of St. Paul. What can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ? Anguish, distress, persecution, famine, violence, COVID. Knowing all these things, we conquer overwhelmingly through him who loved us. So what is St. Paul saying? That once we have an experience of Christ, once we're baptized, once we profess our faith, that nothing can ever separate us from Christ. What does he go on to list after that? What are the things that he says can never separate us from Christ? Suffering. Things that happen to us can never separate us from Christ. Illness, poverty, persecution, trials. All these sufferings actually make us overconquerors, he says in Christ. That the sufferings we endure in life can make us Open our eyes to how much we need God. That hunger that Christ came to feed the people. They needed the desert experience to be awakened to their hunger that he could satisfy. And that's what our suffering does. When we suffer in life, we're awakened to how much we need the presence of God. And we can become so much closer. But what does he not list after he says what can never separate us from Christ? He doesn't list sins. Things that we do. Why? Because sins always separate us from Jesus Christ. Adultery. Premarital sex. Contraceptives. Drunkenness. Pornography. Not keeping Sundays holy. Idolatry. And why? 
because all these things do separate us from Christ. And he speaks to this very thing in Galatians 5.19. We love the Bible. We should read the Bible. It says 5.19, there are certain sins that exclude us from the kingdom of God. And he calls them the works of the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, adultery, idolatry, hatred, anger, unforgiveness, drunkenness, partying, and the like. I warn you now, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And who is he writing to? Believers. Those who have already accepted the Gospels, been converted, and he's telling them that there are certain things that you can carry on doing that can exclude you from the kingdom. So it's not that nothing can separate us from Christ. It's that no suffering can ever separate us from Christ. But our sins most definitely do. And he even talks about principalities and powers. Even diabolical forces can never separate us from Christ. And that's why whenever someone goes to an exorcist with problems, the first thing that the exorcist tells them is you need to go to confession. You need to get your soul right with God. Start receiving the Holy Eucharist as often as you can. Because the strongest exorcism in the church is confession. It's worse to commit a mortal sin than to be possessed by a demon. Because no demon can touch our soul. Only sin, our own sin, can affect our soul. And that's why there's that hierarchy there. So just as in family... The sufferings that a family endures together, illnesses, deaths, tragedies, come what may, suffering has the potential to bring people so much closer together, to draw them into a unit. But sins only separate families. When the father is absent from the household, if the kids are falling into drunkenness and partying, and if, if one of the spouses is unfaithful to the other, does that draw them closer together? Separates them. It's the same exact thing with God. When we suffer, we have the potential to grow so much closer to Jesus Christ. COVID can actually do so many good things in making us realize how much we need God and what would happen if we were going to die. It has great potential to bring us back to that heart-to-heart encounter with Christ. Our sin does the opposite. It only takes us away. And the primary purpose of the Catholic Church is to establish and to protect this marital covenant between our souls and God through Jesus Christ. That's what all the sacraments are there to do. So baptism is what initiates us into this relationship. The Eucharist, Christ feeding us with his own body and blood, that's what nourishes our relationship. And confession is there to mend the relationship that we have with God when it's been broken by the sins that we've chosen to commit. And so I was really hurt the other day when I heard, it was a cleric who said it, which was was so bad. He said that the primary concern of the Catholic Church is the material well-being of persons. The material well-being of persons. In other words, the the preservation of the body, salvation from suffering. And that is just not true. That is deadly false. The primary concern of the Catholic Church 
is the salvation of souls. Always has been. That's what he was founded for. To unite our souls to Jesus Christ. To save us from eternal perdition. And to give us the means to get to heaven. That was the purpose of the church. And everything that we do outside of that, the charitable works, the material works, feeding the poor, making orphanages, colleges, whatever it may be, it has to flow from that primary mission. And the only way that someone could say otherwise, the only way that someone could could make that statement is if they believe that hell didn't exist. Because if we believe that, if we convince ourselves that hell doesn't exist, then sin is irrelevant. It's a non-secretary. If sin is what separates us from God and makes us liable to hell, then it's very important to talk about. If it doesn't, then it just makes people scared. Why bring it up? But Jesus Christ himself talked about it more than anybody else in the scriptures. The church for 2,000 years has always preached this. That to die in a state of mortal sin is what leads to the eternal separation from God. And that's why it's so important for us to always look at what are the things in my life that are threatening to separate me from Jesus Christ. That's why the Catholic Church, if it ever becomes more concerned about preserving the material well-being of persons than preserving them from mortal sin, then we have forgotten our purpose. If we are more concerned with relieving the plague of poverty than the pandemic of pornography, we have forgotten our purpose. If we are more anxious about saving straws than we are about saving souls, then we have forgotten our purpose. Because none of these material sufferings, as important as they are in themselves, can ever separate us from the love of Christ. But our sins can do that. And that is why the experience of Christ must become a choice for Christ. A choice to fight against the sin in my life that threatens to separate me from Him. And the best part of this relationship with Christ Really, the absolute best part is that God is all in. That's our one guarantee, that Christ will never turn away from us. He'll never walk away. His initial yes for us will never become a no as long as we're alive. And no matter what we've done, no matter how long we've been away, no matter how far we've drifted, all it takes is one moment, one confession, one decision to give my life back to Christ in this moment and everything will be restored in that relationship in an instant. His response will always be the same, just as he did in the gospel. Jesus Christ will always look upon our sins, upon our emptiness with pity and he'll always come to encounter us with his mercy. And over and over again, once he restores that relationship and confession, he will come to feed us with the bread of everlasting life. This is my body given up for you. All we must do is never give up the fight to repent, to return, 
and to receive him again. And nothing in this world, not even our sins, will ever separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord.